The U.S. Internal Revenue Service, or IRS, has issued long-awaited guidance on tax considerations pertaining to transactions involving virtual currencies. This is the first guidance on the topic the IRS has released since 2014. But interestingly, the guidance raises as many questions as it answers. We have Jones Day partner Lori Hellcamp here to explain. I'm Dave Dalton. You're listening to Jones Day Talks. Jones Day tax partner Lori Hellcamp's practice spans a broad range of areas, including corporate and international tax, M&A, and tax controversy. She has extensive experience in international tax planning, counseling, and compliance, as well as tax-efficient structures for cross-border transactions and restructurings and issues arising with foreign investments in the United States. Hey, Lori, thanks for being here today. Oh, thanks for having me. We are going to talk about cryptocurrency and its tax implications. And the IRS recently dropped out a new guidance. We're going to talk about that in a second. Just to kind of get us rolling and make sure we're all on the same page, Lori, tell us, generally speaking, how are cryptocurrencies treated for tax purposes? Sure. So in 2014, the IRS made kind of a fundamental policy call that they wanted these types of currencies to be treated as property rather than true currency or, or even foreign currency. And that came with a host of tax implications, not all of which are obvious or make sense when you actually start applying these principles to real life transactions. They really can have some unexpected results because I think so many people kind of conceptualize cryptocurrencies as a type of currency since right. they're used in transactions you know, to buy and sell things. It's a little bit unexpected sometimes, the tax implications of using these property type coins in transactions that are fundamentally feel like a currency. Okay. So for example, let me put a little color on that. Every time you purchase a cryptocurrency, a coin, for example, you have to track that basis. You have to kind of keep tabs on how much you paid for it at the time. And likewise, each time you then use that cryptocurrency, not just selling it necessarily, but mm -hmm. you use it to buy something, for example, yeah. you actually have to recognize gain or loss for tax purposes at the instant of that purchase. And that's something that's kind of the most unexpected because normally right. buying something is not a taxable event. If you go to a retailer and buy a sweater, you don't pay tax on that. Well, well it's set aside sales tax, but right, there's right. no income tax that's recognized in that transaction. If, however, you paid with a cryptocurrency, it would actually be taxable to you, again, from an income tax perspective. Say it's a $100 sweater and you paid $10 for a cryptocurrency, the, the coin that you're going to use to buy that sweater, which is now worth 100 but you got it last year and you paid $10 for it. Yeah. So buying that sweater is actually going to result in a $90 taxable gain to you as the purchaser. Okay. Okay. Now, now that I, I hadn't expect that at all. And I did do some research preparing for this. So it's all, as you said, when you buy something with normal currency, no one's worried about how the value of that currency may have fluctuated in the international you know, monetary exchange or something in the meantime. But when you're using crypto, you have to account for the gain, or I suppose sometimes the loss in the value of that cryptocurrency from the time you acquired it, however you did, to when you used it to make that purchase. That's correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. There, it's very unexpected. And as you can imagine, there are still probably taxpayers out there who don't expect that answer. There Previously, there were lots of them. I think increasingly the IRS is trying to put out the word that that's how they view cryptocurrency. So more and more people are at least aware of this, but it's your surprise is exactly, it's spot on because you just don't conceive of a transaction like that giving rise to a taxable result. Okay. So are all cryptocurrencies 
covered by that kind of guidance or arrangement in terms of, you know, you've got to account for any escalation or decline in the value during the time you held it? The short answer is no. The IRS issued that guidance. They made that fundamental policy call in 2014. Um, And in that guidance, they spoke to only a specific class of what they call convertible virtual currencies. And and those are basically kind of the digital representations of value that can actually be exchanged into fiat currencies. Fiat Mm -hmm. currency, of course, being the dollar, the yen, the euro, the the kind of state-backed currencies. So there are cryptocurrencies that don't cleanly fall into that category. There are also lots of tokens that don't fall into that. And there's this wider universe of tokens out there, and they don't all just represent kind of intrinsic value, you know, like a Bitcoin or Ethereum you think of as currency that you can buy and sell stuff with. Mm-hmm. Tokens can have characteristics beyond just that kind of intrinsic value. Mm-hmm. You might be able to get services with them. They might represent an ownership stake in a potential project. There's all these tokens floating around in the world that we don't think are or were intended to be covered by that initial guidance. So really what we can say is we have guidance that convertible virtual currencies, kind of that narrow class, are clearly covered by that 2014 guidance. Everything else may or may not be, but probably isn't. Okay, good enough. Okay, let's move over to what prompted this conversation today. Okay, back in the fall, the IRS released some much-anticipated new guidance, uh, I guess intended to help taxpayers better understand reporting obligations for transactions involving virtual currencies. Uh, That can be found at Revenue Ruling 2019-24 on the IRS website. We will also post that link at jonesday.com. Lori, this is the first update in five years. You mentioned the 2014 guidance. A couple things. First of all, what did it tell us, and what's your preliminary reaction to what you read there? Sure. Yeah, this was long-awaited guidance. We'd been hoping for guidance because, as you can imagine, a lot has changed since 2014. This is such a quickly evolving area. I mean, the number of coins and tokens out there have exploded since 2014. So guidance was desperately needed. Mm -hmm. The the IRS did issue something late last year, and specifically it speaks to hard forks and the treatment of hard forks. I think maybe before I go into what the IRS said about that, maybe just for a second, we'll step back to clarify. So a hard fork, what we mean by that, a hard fork arises when there's basically a change to the underlying blockchain software that causes an incompatibility between the existing protocol and then a newly developed protocol. And this causes the blockchain to be forked. I mean, we think of it like a fork in the road, right? Right. So each chain then going forward applies different rules to reviewing and verifying transactions on the block. And these protocol changes to the software can either be because there was technical divide among the network, among the appropriate protocols, or hard forks can be done intentionally because someone's trying to create a new cryptocurrency. This is all open source software that we're dealing with in the blockchain sphere. Basically, anyone with the technical ability and inclination can you know, start their own cryptocurrency. Right. So an example of a hard fork, though, is Bitcoin. So Bitcoin what forked into Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash in 2017. That's probably the best known example of it so far. And in a hard fork... New coins come to exist by virtue of the transaction ledger of the legacy network being copied to create this new and separate blockchain, so this new currency going forward. 
so typically how this works is if you previously owned a coin of the original cryptocurrency, which I'm going to call A, you'll now own that same coin, but you'll also own one coin of new A. So this is how the split happens. Both the legacy and the new A will share all the history, the block history, but going forward, they're going to reside on separate blockchains. Okay. Quite okay. literally a fork in the road. Mm -hmm. No coins are airdropped, however, in connection with this hard fork situation that I just described. Okay. An airdrop on the other side, and th this will become relevant when we delve into the guidance, that refers to basically a distribution of a coin or a token, often a newly developed one, to multiple wallet holders for free. So this is more in the marketing space that we see this. Yeah. It's not related to a hard fork. And I think of it, actually, the best analogy I've heard so far is if you're at a grocery store or a big box store and, you know, the employees are giving out samples, maybe have a fourth of this cookie in the hopes that you'll buy the whole package <laughs> of the cookies. Right, right. That's what an airdrop is. It's a marketing, it's a marketing tool to intrigue you and interest you in whatever the new coins, the new tokens, the new services, whatever it is that are being developed. It's fundamentally pretty different than a hard fork. Yeah. So the new guidance then, it appears to misunderstand the underlying technology and conflate hard forks and airdrops, or at least it assumes that they necessarily happen in conjunction with one another. I so it, it's created a bit of confusion. Depending on how you read the guidance, it either appears to require or to not require immediate taxation of new coins resulting from a hard fork. Well, well um, that, that's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it either requires or it doesn't, depending on your interpretation. Really? You're, you're exactly right. It's The problem is, is that they essentially speak to facts that don't happen in the wild and give the tax results for that. So if you read it quite literally, it would seem to suggest that you're only taxable on a hard fork if it is in conjunction with an airdrop. But again, those two things don't live together in real life. There might be a, one known kind of outlier example, but generally hard forks happen how I described them. So they're separate from airdrops. They're just different concepts. They're different things. Okay. So. I think what the IRS was actually trying to say is that hard forks are immediately taxable. Mm -hmm. But yeah, a technical and literal read of this might suggest that they're only taxable if you receive the new forked currency in connection with an airdrop, which again, doesn't really happen. So I think where this leaves us is they're almost certainly going to have to clarify the guidance and possibly even revoke it and reissue it. Suffice it to say, it's caused probably more confusion and created more questions th than answers. Yeah. With all due respect to our friends at the Treasury Department and at the IRS, I mean, what's a taxpayer supposed to do right now based on, and trust me, Lori, if you're confused, everybody's confused. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what, what's a taxpayer supposed to do at this point? I think at this point, you have to be reasonable, take consistent positions, you know, act in good faith, document everything you're doing especially document kind of how you're valuing things. But I mean, yeah, good faith effort. The IRS feels that these are reportable, or at least the cryptocurrency transactions generally are reportable. So if you're doing nothing, that's probably a problem. If you're reporting nothing, if you're doing nothing, that's an issue. But if you're trying to be compliant in a reasonable manner, you do it consistently and you document what you're doing and why you're doing it, you're in a better position than those who are doing nothing, which is going to be a problem.
That makes sense for for sure. That's always good advice, I think. Let's go back to airdrops for a second, the marketing airdrops that you were talking about before. Talk about how they're valued for tax considerations. How would that come about? How do you know who tells you? That's a great question. In fact, that's that's kind of the million-dollar question now, (laughs) both for airdrops and hard forks. Um, If they are, as I think what the IRS is trying to say, taxable immediately, so once you gain possession of them and can access those new coins, whether they're new forked coins or they're airdropped kind Uh of marketing coins, and you have to value them in order to you know report them as taxable at that instant of receipt you have to figure out how much they're worth yeah that is an incredibly difficult thing to do sometimes many new new tokens that are dropped will there's no market speculative yet, right? at best uh, i'm sorry well forgive me for interrupting but i'm thinking in context of things i am more familiar with you know in an equity you know a, a stock issue Right. If it's an IPO, let's say it's issued at 20 bucks a share, you buy it at the IPO, you know what your your cost basis is, I guess. And if you sure. sell it later for 25, you, that's a fair market. Someone is willing to buy that from you for that price. You have a gain of five bucks. But how do you establish fair market value of a crypto that you receive via airdrop if there's no active market or no, how might that work, I wonder? You're exactly right. I mean, if there's no market for it yet, there may or may not be. Most likely there's not. Most likely, I mean, in the case of marketing airdrops, I would think that most of them are probably value less. It just completely depends. But you're right. If there's no established market, no trading, it's very difficult to value something. So I think this is where we go back to that previous answer where be reasonable, be consistent and document your valuation methodology. How might airdrops be taxed? versus how hard forks might be taxed? Are there different approaches perhaps or different arrangements we should expect? How might that play out in the real world? Yeah, I think there are other approaches that can be taken for both and they can be consistent or not as between each other. But the the IRS appears to be taking the position that they're basically taxable immediately, both Mm -hmm. the receipt of a new, you know, a new forked currency as well as an airdropped currency. But there are definitely other approaches and other approaches that many practitioners have advocated for and indeed that other jurisdictions are already taking. And part of this is because it is so difficult to value new tokens when upon first receiving them. The practical difficulties of valuing and complying with such rules is going to be not insignificant. Also, because it's not clear that something new or or that additional value is necessarily created in all of these instances. I mean, with the hard fork, for example, there's this great common analogy that you'll hear in the tax circles. You know, if a a mare gives birth to a foal, so, you know, a baby Mm -hmm. horse, that's not usually a taxable event to the horse's owner. So that's kind of where the there's case law on that there's obviously not case law yet on mm. hard forks and their taxability it's just all too new so we're struggling for analogies here and that's one that's kind of taken hold conceptually anyway i think it's clear that it's yeah it's just not obvious that the new value is necessarily created in many yeah. of these situations so that coupled with the difficulty of valuing coins or tokens on the front end really make a great case for for considering another means of taxing these situations mm-hmm. i think the most obvious one is f- 
for it not to be taxable at the time of the fork, but then for the new currency, for the new crypto that you then hold, it'll have a zero basis. So it'll be like you paid zero dollars for it. So if and when you then sell it or, or use it in a transaction, it'll become fully taxable when you actually know what the value is. I see. Alternatively, it would it could be you know non-taxable at the time of receipt, uh-huh. but then the basis that you had in that original legacy currency could kind of be allocated among the legacy cryptocurrency and the new one that was created in the fork. Right, right. Well, you know, listening to you talk, it dawns to me. You know, we we do a lot of podcasts, and sometimes we're talking about artificial intelligence or robotics. Or you know blockchain, and you know the regulations are always having a hard time keeping up, right? Because you know our our technology tends to move along more quickly, and for for a lot of reasons. Well, I'm used to that, but I'm not used to that when we're talking about finance or tax issues. Here we've got you know a brand new type of currency, medium of exchange, if you will, that you know we just aren't sure how to tax it yet. You know we we talk about not being able to regulate technology. Here we've got something brand new that now the tax authorities are going to struggle with. This is this is new terrain for me and maybe for a lot of us, I guess. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Here's one other thing, too. You were kind enough to send over some notes for us to get ready for this conversation. And you mentioned, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm chuckling, but you, you said the guidance issued so far by the IRS is, air quotes, sub-regulatory. What does that mean, sub-regulatory? I'm afraid I know what it means. I might not like it, but go ahead. <laughs> no, no. I, 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 it, it means what you think it means. No. There's Consider the, you know, the laws and, and legal requirements that are imposed both in tax and just generally. There's kind of a hierarchy, right? I mean, there's different right. formats. So there's the Constitution, and then there's statutes, and then there's regulations. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a list, though, and some trump others, right? right? Sub-regulatory guidance means just what you think. It doesn't rise to the level of a regulation. It's less formal guidance. Yeah. It hasn't been subjected to kind of the formal review process. It hasn't been subject to public comments. It's more susceptible to being challenged. Technically, the IRS actually in the tax base isn't even supposed to seek judicial deference to its interpretations that are set forth only in sub-regulatory guidance. It means you know what the IRS thinks and the position they're going to take. So if you take a position that's contrary to the sub-regulatory guidance, you can expect it's going to get challenged on audit or if you take a different position. But it's not kind of firm law in the sense that it would be if it were a statute or even published regulations. And some of the guidance, along with the revenue ruling they published late last year, they published some frequently asked questions on the website. Those are so informal that they technically can't even be relied on for penalty protection. So that's an issue. If you rely on those, fill out your tax form, you know, in a way that complies with those frequently asked questions and then end up having an issue, usually you can avoid penalties by saying, but I relied on this guidance published by the IRS, but it's got to be you know, sufficiently robust guidance and frequently asked questions, as far as we're aware, to date, aren't considered kind of sufficiently robust that taxpayers would be able to rely on them for penalty protection per se. Wow. Wow. Are we going to have to wait for case law to really clarify some of this, do you think? (laughs) I think regulations would be a good place to start. start, Yeah, okay, that first, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not even going to be so greedy. Yeah, regulations, (laughs) a a statute would be great. Statutes have been kicked around by Congress. They've never actually made it through, though. There are some very common sense provisions that have been contemplated, like a de minimis exception, because this is property. 
think about it, you're supposed to be recording your basis and recording your taxable gain or loss on every single transaction. Well, goodness, what if you buy a, you know, a $4 cup of coffee or something? The compliance burden is not insignificant mm -hmm. if you're following these rules as I think they're published right now. So one of the, so Congress has at least toyed with the idea of a de minimis exception. It never made its way out of Congress though. So it's not law, but gosh, wouldn't it be nice if it were? It sounds like it. It also sounds like this is very much a work in progress. Lori, what are the open issues remaining? And frankly, are we going to have to wait another five years? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I'm hoping that they will fix the 2019 revenue ruling sooner than five years from now, because that one really needs to be clarified and corrected. But great question. There are still a lot of open issues. I mean, there's so many things outside of just hard forks that we didn't talk about today that right. the tax treatment is uncertain. I mean, there's ICOs, there's mining income, there's all kinds of cross-border considerations and applicable reporting requirements, there's still a lot of uncertainty about how exactly and when you're meant to report various transactions that are undertaken with cryptocurrencies. So yes, a lot of open questions. Although I will say at this point that the fact that there are so many open items hasn't necessarily stopped the government from moving forward with compliance enforcement. The government recently legally compelled one of the major cryptocurrency exchanges to turn over thousands of records and taxpayer information on many of its customers and their cryptocurrency transactions. And last year, I think it was over 10,000 letters were sent out from the IRS to taxpayers based on the data they received that basically said, hey, we know you transacted in cryptocurrency and we think you didn't properly report it for tax purposes. Okay. So okay. there's, yeah, there's different flavors of that letter that went out, but they went out. So I think this goes to also Yikes, there's a lot of uncertainty, but this is why at least a good faith effort to do something and keep records and report the best you can is the way forward for now. You certainly can't do nothing. Lori, thanks so much for being here today. This has been informative. Let's talk again, maybe later on this year, if you get a feel for where things are going or you know have some client experiences that might be useful for the audience. We'd love to hear more. Fascinating area. I think you're going to be really busy. <laughs> I, I think we are too. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Dave. Nice Take talking care. with you. Take care, Lori. You too. Bye. Visit the tax practice page at jonesday.com for Lori Hellkamp's complete bio and her contact information. Also, be sure to visit our insights page for great content. There you'll find other podcasts, videos, commentaries, alerts, newsletters, blogs, and other interesting information. Subscribe to Jones Day Talks at Apple Podcasts and wherever else podcasts can be found. As always, we thank you for listening. I'm Dave Dalton. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Jones Day Talks. Comments heard on Jones Day Talks should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. The opinions expressed on Jones Day Talks are those of lawyers appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information, please visit jonesday.com.